0: Welcome to Mint, the podcast exploring the Web3 creator economy. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you what's happening at the corner where crypto meets creators by interviewing Web3's top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, and founders. This episode is brought to you by the composable and decentralized social graph Lens Protocol, who's ready for you to build on so that you can focus on creating a great experience, not scaling your users. Guys, I've talked about this on the podcast before. We as creators need to break through a new paradigm of social networking apps that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens Protocol isn't a social media app. It's designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. Own your content, own your social graph, own your data. Lens Protocol is the last social media handle you'll ever have to create. This episode welcomes Christina Beltramini, who's the head of growth, or as we like to call her in the community, the chief scheming officer at Lens Protocol, to discuss the ever growing world of Web3 Social. Throughout our discussion, we cover topics such as online identity, her article highlighting the next era of user generated content, and Lens Protocol's plan to empower a wider class of creators and curators. Christina also shares her aspirations for building a better internet, an overview of Lens's developer ecosystem, and lessons learned while working at TikTok that she's applying to building the Lens ecosystem. Furthermore, we dive into the importance of content remixing, the latest developments in the Lens ecosystem, and how creators can monetize their work using Lens. This is a jam-packed discussion, so without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Christina... Aka Lens Protocol Head of Growth, Aka Chief Scheming Officer. Welcome to the podcast, a part of season seven. Super stoked to have you on. How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling good. I'm a I'm a fan of you from season two, and I've got I, my power up to to prove it. So honored to I'm honored today.
0: I'm genuinely honored, and it, it's always a, like a full circle moment for me to host people who listen to, uh, to the podcast on the podcast. So. I'm excited, Christina. Lens Protocol. I'm a big power user. I feel like I'm one of the most followed people on there somehow by default. Um, and today I'm really excited to pick your brain on all things Lens, all things the creator economy, TikTok, and everything in between. How does that sound? Let's do
1: it. Let's do it. And, and you're one of the most followed people on Lens because uh, you were early, right? In adopting and yes. testing the technology. So for all creators are listening to this as well, it always pays to be early.
0: I completely agree. And we can talk about that too when we, when we talk about TikTok. But before we get into that, Christina, give us a quick blur. Who are you? What does the world need to know about you? We'll start there and work our way forward.
1: Awesome. So besides being a uh, chief scheming officer uh, for Lens Protocol and, and the RBA companies, I've got a current background. So I started in uh, investment banking when I graduated and slowly moved uh, towards the the Korean economy at the juncture of, of entertainment uh, and social media. So I worked
0: at TikTok for a for few years, uh, and Tidal, and then at various uh, hyper great startups. So I know you have your background in investment banking and music streaming and TikTok working with creators and now crypto-native creators. Like, I'm trying to piece in my mind, how the heck do all those puzzle pieces come together?
1: I'm not sure how they did at the time <laughs> when I was going through the evolution, but I think they're starting to make uh, a lot more sense now. In general, I've always been um, you know, very curious and I've wanted to to kind of follow my passion. My passion wasn't finance uh, when I entered the space. And so I ended up kind of leaving and going and working in consumer tech. Um, But what is ironic right now is that when we're talking about the creator economy, it's actually an asset class in itself. So, music IP, um, you know, creator IP now in the UGC era. So, in a way, it's all starting to make sense. uh, And everything happens for a reason, I guess.
0: I completely agree. Everything does happen for a reason. And the connection between your financial interests working in TradFi to now, the, the financial interests and in working to a crypto enabled creator economy very much overlap. And you came out with this article called User Generated Content 2.0. Like that was the, the keyword, right? And I feel like a lot of your background is encompassed in that entire blog post, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, what we are seeing is that everything we put online has value, right? And when you come from a finance background, you learn about value. But value isn't just, you know, what we've traditionally been thinking about value. We all work in a really innovative space, being Web3. We're finding new ways to capture value in the digital era. And so when we think about user-generated content, and which is really what we're putting online and our social capital, that actually has value that we have been earning to someone else, being these big tech platforms. And it all kind of comes full circle now. Uh, you know, digital culture is valuable. And like, how do we think of that as an asset class? And that really spurred um, my thinking when it came to, you know, the UGC 2.0 article, because when I was actually at TikTok, we started to really test this notion. You know, we, I, I worked on a um, project towards the end of my time there um, with actually uh, Bradley Freeman, who works with me now at Lens. And we were really trying to figure out, hey, what do people value, you know, the most viral TikTok videos? Like, what is this value worth when you put it out in the open market? Um, and so the idea that, you know, TikTok and Facebook, they all have an understanding of how much that is worth because they place ads against it. But what if the creator were actually able to monetize that directly? Um, and what is the social uh, capital and, and value of, of these assets and this content that we put online?
0: Are these ideas you developed during your time at TikTok towards the end of it working on that campaign with Bradley? Or did these like the realizations happened once you started putting your foot full time? into Web3?
1: So that whole project was premised on the notion of, you know, the value of user generated capital. But I think, you know, thinking through, you know, UGC 2.0 and, and what I wrote about, I've had a lot of ideas that have developed and really evolved the thinking of what, you know, else it, what else it enables besides just, you know, monetization. So I think UGC 2.0 is actually the social layout um, of the new internet and it will enable not only better experiences for the creator, but also for us as consumers and how we navigate and discover, um, you know, our experiences online. So I would say it was really 50-50. But when Stani pitched me, um, you know, the whole idea of Lance and he said, do you want to come and build decentralized social? It all made a lot of sense to me based on, you know, understanding the value of, you know, the creator economy, but also the risks that the creator economy has with these big platforms too. So when I was at TikTok, one of the biggest questions that I got asked was, can you get me out um, and funnily enough, I am actually locked out of my TikTok account, and that is because when I was multitasking, I updated my age, and it thinks I'm three years old because I got prompted to do it. Uh, and now I'm memeless, but I'm not a big creator, right?
0: So it' really impactful. <laughs> now I'm imagining three years old, three year old Christina, like that's all that's in my mind right now.
1: <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of pet videos. You know, of my <laughs> locked out account. I have a locked out experience. So I can't DM anyone and I'm very restricted in terms of what I'm able to view. Um, But, you know, it's three months in and I still haven't gotten my account back and running. And I'm reaching out to people internally that I know to try and fast track it. And it's not easy. And you think about creators that have built their entire livelihoods on one or two platforms. Like, this is a significant risk.
0: Right. Whenever I get the pleasure and the luxury of being able to talk to you, Christina, and pick your brain, I'm always fascinated between the bridges of Web2 and web3 specifically what web2 messed up on that web3 aims to solve and throughout our conversation the last like 8 minutes or so we've touched upon different elements throughout throughout the conversation but if we could focus for a minute you have this this incredibly valuable experience working for TikTok and you were there during key moments of its growth and now you're seeing the key moments of web3 social's growth what are the opportunities that we have as builders entrepreneurs creators to fix in web3 that web2 failed at
1: what we're seeing now is that the tides are turning with the creator economy, and people actually understand the value uh, of owning their own content. It's not necessarily about reach or likes. Um, that isn't what it's por- what is important. It's really about depth. And I think as builders and as creators, um, the fact that we no longer well we need to optimize for the ad industry and the word influence was really targeted towards. Um, you know, advertising, right? Because it means reach and CPMs, but readjusting our thinking towards depth and ownership. And in my mind, um, the rise of TikTok was really a new value proposition for creators um, to really start from scratch and deliver kind of a new participatory experience um, with their audiences. So TikTok taught us that we want to participate um, mm-hmm. with our favorite creators. Um, and what we've learned now is we act, they actually, we want to participate, but we also want to own our experiences and have more control. And I think that's really important when we think about building this, this kind of like next juncture um, of Web3 Social.
0: My thesis is that your community of collectors will outpace your community of followers over time exponentially. And I think there's more value to, to building a collector base And kind of seeing that play into fruition day by day as creators build collector bases on Lens, right? Or as they do across other areas of of the Web3 ecosystem. And I'm convinced like that's the future of value, building a collector base over building a follower base. Would you agree? Would you disagree? Any thoughts around that?
1: I agree, but I think it's growing your collector base and knowing who they are. Because there's a lot of noise uh, in the digital economy right now. Um, a lot of things going on. Where do you concentrate your focus? And even myself, like in my day to day and in my life, it's always, you know, a matter of prioritization. Where are you going to get the, hi- the highest ROI? Um, but being able to actually understand your collectors and your top fans, I think it's not only your collectors, but who is going to be your future collectors and how do you use signals and open data, um, in that web three social enables to actually be able to have, you know, a good thesis. Um, and to be able to kind of tend to your audiences in the right way. It doesn't mean you need to tend to, you know, all, I think you have 20,000 now, um, Adam, on on Lens. You don't need to tend to all of them, but you should at least know, you know, who the top, you know, 500 or 1,000 are um, to really be able to kind of tend to them because they are your super fans and they're incredibly valuable to your growth as a creator.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that brings me into a section of the blog post where you talk about data empowerment. And one one key area that you highlighted is like trying to understand what someone's online identity now means to them through their content. So my next question to you is like, what does it mean for a users, for a user to control and have control over their online identity? And like, what is the what is the value of having that? Because I feel like it's a new concept in the grand scheme of things. Like people are, are products of the platform. And they don't really have access to that level of ownership the way these big mega corporations do. But in Web3, you are the platform. You build your collector base. You get to own and capture more of the value that you create. And one component of that is captured through the content that you create. So when you think of what is what does it mean for a user to have control over their online identity, what do you think about?
1: It's definitely about knowing your value. And you'll see even in Web2, creators don't know their value. There's platforms like, Fuck you, pay me right? Where they're trying to understand like, how much am I worth? How much should I be paid for um, by a brand? And so the, the data that creators can capture at Web3 Social is really a game changer because they're finally able to know, hey, how much am I worth as a creator um, to make sure they're not underselling themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like I mentioned before, like it's not only the being able to understand your fans, but it's also being able to aggregate your data across different uh, social platforms, which in web too, isn't possible because when you're posting on TikTok and then you're posting on Instagram, you have no idea about any type of user crossover between both of those platforms and the opportunity to finally have open data. And I really admire Bello, right? Because you guys are making um, this new open data structure and, and servicing it to creators in actionable ways. We can't expect creators to you know be able to understand this data. But this data is a superpower. And so being able to provide them with tools um, to unlock it and to engage and and be smart about how they uh, nurture their communities is is really
0: important. How do you think ownership over this data, and I guess UGC 2.0 in general, can sort of alter and provide new opportunities for fandom, community building, and and brand partnerships? What do you you think is sort of the, the aha over there?
1: Yeah. Ultimately, the baseline primitives of, of Lens protocol are, are all on chain. So being able to, you, when you follow someone, technically, um, that, that there's an NFT behind that. When you collect content, um, you know, that's an NFT as well. And so you end up, you know, having all of these behaviors that live in your wallet, right? And they become your social proof. Uh, and so when you have that, and you think about being able to discover others online and connect, you can connect through these different data points that you've been collecting. And so I think from a user perspective, like the opportunity to kind of choose my own destiny um, and to be able to connect with others with similar interests besides just having an algorithm dictate it for me is really, really interesting. Um, and then also for creators as well, because when someone collects your content, they're not just liking your post, right? they're not just commenting, they're collecting it with meaning. And the idea is that this creates a two-way relationship um, between the fan and, and the creator, which can unlock, you know, additional value maybe. You know, Adam, like I said, I discovered you early, right? I have my po-op to prove that, right? And I'm proud of that. And um, you know that I was, you know, an early backer of yours and everyone else that has that season two po-op. Um, it's no different uh, in Web3 Social. You know, I collected demo from a musician that I like. And then they end up blowing up. They'll know exactly who collected that demo, uh, you know, before they they were a big artist.
0: Another thing you highlight in your blog post when you when you talk about UGC 2.0, you talk about the elements of content creation and distribution. And I think in Web three, the the sort of like model prior to platforms like Lens Protocol coming up is you build virality and distribution on Web two, and you use Web three to capture that value via NFTs other other means of tokens right but now we're sort of like seeing the shift where that those two worlds kind of collide and web 3 is the destination for both like i can achieve distribution in virality through lens protocol and also capture that value through various collect posts and i think as a whole as an industry as a whole we're doing a great job of creating tools that help creators capture the value by minting nfts but we're slacking on the distribution side because if we really want to be the platform we not only need to capture more of the value that we create, we also need to have tools to understand and to accelerate on distribution. Any thoughts around that?
1: 100%. Everything starts at the social layer. The social layer is what drives collects, And when I think about Lens Protocol, it is really the social distribution meta-layer of Web3 and the EBM ecosystem. And we're really only scratching the surface of that. We're seeing a lot of creators minting on Manifold or on Catalog and they're sharing those links on Lens. But there's way more ways that we can unlock the superpower of the protocol. Um, So on Lens there's actually a mirror fee, um, which I would think of an affiliate fee. Imagine being able to bake that on top of, say, like a Zora smart contract um, and collect it directly on Lens as a post. Um, That removes a ton of the friction but also ensures that that coast can be made visible through a social layer where it's relevant towards. Um, and I think that that's going to be a huge game changer um, that Lens Protocol can offer.
0: I love that because that sort of incentivizes fans to be a part of the monetization process in a way that they haven't really been able to do so in a streamlined fashion. I mean, you can have affiliate links in your Link and bio that then outbounds to an Amazon page or your e-commerce page, but it feels more streamlined and automated when when crypto and blockchain is the underlying foundation to surface that and to enable that. Um, so my, my next question to you is, beyond the mirror, do you see other ways as to how UGC 2.0 empowers fans to be a part of the monetization process? Any other examples come to mind?
1: Yeah, so it empowers fans, but I also want to stress the point that it empowers a new creator class as well, which is that of the curator. Um, completely overlooked uh, in the Web2 ecosystem. And so the idea that when I'm sharing content uh, on Web3 Social, uh, I can actually earn from that. So say a creator, you know, posts something on Lens, they make it collectible um, and they add a 10% affiliate fee for anyone that shares that piece of content and it gets collected because it was of that person's amplification. So what I've been in, you know, on Lens Protocol at the moment, you know, I think over 5% Um, of all revenues um, that have been earned for creators of this new class, um, you know, called the curator. And so the idea, yeah, the the idea that we can share content um, passively, right. And actually benefit from those like two or three hours a day that we spend on social media. um, You know, it is a new unlock where we're getting paid to engage versus being. the product.
0: Hmm. It pays to be a curator. That's sort of like what I, I kind of like lean it down to. And I think, in general there's power in having taste making we see that in the music community of people finding artists before they kind of like emerge and, and they become who they are and now there's a way to capture and measure that uh, improve that using nfts using these affiliate these new forms of affiliate links it's a model that i haven't really kind of like thought about like i've talked about the curator before but now that you bring it up i kind of i'm like reflecting on it a bit more and it's like oh op- it's opening up a brand new rabbit hole for me <laughs>
1: Yeah. And the really cool thing about Lens too, is that everything is composable. So I could create a blog that's just based on my mirrors, right? And provide more context around, you know, each piece that I'm mirroring. Um, But I can surface that and it doesn't need to be, you know, on the main applications on Lens or through my, you know, Lens profile, it can be taking and pulling from my Lens profile, the relevant content that I want to surface on say like a music blog which is what I miss the most, right? Because I feel we've become like algorithm zombies um, and we're in like algorithm jail in terms of like, you know, what surfaced to us on Spotify or TikTok and really bringing back authentic curation is now possible in a way where a curator doesn't need to go and be a playlist up, um, for Spotify to be able to earn from their taste-making skills. You can earn from that natively online. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be a, a really big unlock.
0: How does Lens plan to empower Uh, a wider class of curators so i know you have the features like for example mirror natively embedded right to support that type of behavior but is there some type of plan in place to to kind of like aggregate and find more of these curators and build like the lens cohort of curators
1: definitely the way we think about it is the four c's um and i'm sure you've heard of this add on uh on lens protocol so it's creators curators collectors uh, and collectively that's one unlocks community uh, and that's our thesis. And so, you know, we've done a lot of work with the creatives uh, in Web3. The next step is really to bring more curators uh, and collectors uh, into the ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for those curators finding, we've really just scratched the surface on the types of tools that are available. I think we could have entire front ends that are built around the notion of curation. And you may or may not have seen Dunkling TV. It's mm-hmm. toying on that idea. Um, because this is the second part of our strategy now, um, where you can have a whole TV channel that's based on video content that's been mirrored from one lens account. The idea for that was really to encourage builders to really play more with the mirror functionality and not view it as simply a retreat, but view it as a, a real a potential to
0: build curatorial platforms uh, in Web3. So if a curator comes to Lens today, how can they actually get started with kind of like creating the right pages for their audience based off content on Lens?
1: At the moment, it's very much, you know, going in and and following, uh, you know, different types of audiences and and content. So we have a lot of uh, music creators as well as photographers and and visual artists. And so, you know, really using the recommendations of Lens on, on who to follow uh, is is kind of like the the first and foremost tool, but then what 's really interesting about um lens again it 's composable so uh, we have a number of integrations uh so you could go to Ooh la la or to spin app which feed uh the latest lens music content and view just the music content on a music nft player that 's coming from lens and use that as a discovery vehicle um and again I think that's the most interesting as well because you have that you know, distribute once, distribute everywhere. So you're not only dependent on, you know, discovering content through Lens stuff and what Lensster is curating, you can actually go and discover on on different platforms on Lens that have different
0: recommendation tools for you. What's up guys, sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to tell you about Bello, a new blockchain analytics tool I built that helps Web3 native creators and communities learn more about their collectors and their on-chain behavior through a simple search bellows intelligence can help you figure out a price for your nft drop show you what other communities your collectors are a part of and empower you with insights to make confident decisions on how to grow your community i built bellow with you in mind so as a creator myself bellows helped me make money by finding sponsors for the podcast and allowed me to curate better content for you guys and now it's ready to help other creators too If you're a Web3 native creator, NFT project founder, or community manager, join the waitlist to try Bello's beta product today by signing up at bello.lol forward slash join. That's B-E-L-L-O dot L-O-L forward slash join. All right, back to the episode. Christina, one thing that's incredibly fascinating about your background is that you have so much experience onboarding Web2 creators and now Web3 creators. You've seen both worlds a lot of people criticize crypto because it's very hard to get involved with. When you think about it from the context of Web2, what are those barriers to entry for Web2 native creators? And how do they differ or compare for Web3 native creators?
1: So Web2, at the moment, it's it's the world of everything TikTok. Like, you know, everyone is going to TikTok to be discovered, to be the next viral start. But, you know, you're competing with hundreds of thousands of other people, right? You have 64% of Gen Z that have said that they want to, you know, become content creators. Uh, and so, you know, there is social capital inflation. So that is mm. first and foremost, like how do you get discovered uh, on these platforms uh, anymore? It's, it's very, very difficult because you you only really have two or three platforms available to you. You have TikTok, YouTube, uh, or Instagram. Um, but, you know, these these platforms have already kind of been saturated. Uh, you know, with creators. And I, I tell my friends all the time, like they say, I have a video that just went viral. My first question to them is, so how many new followers did you get? <laughs> you know, and now the, the, the virality to follower ratio is completely off. So while you might go viral on these platforms, it really is fleeting fame because you're not actually able to convert that into fandom uh, and audiences uh, by by virtue of the nature of the platform. So I think that is, is a huge barrier to entry um, for new creators. And when you think about Web3, the barrier to entry is slightly different. We're in the dial-up phase of like like Web3. And so you're not going to have a huge audience and you're not going to be able to bring your existing audience across because it's really those people that are here for the tech that are experimenting as, as we figure out how to get to, to the broadband um, stage. So the barrier to entry, is you're really starting from scratch. But on the flip side, you have the ability to really target a new audience um, a new audience set, right? And that is the Web3 consumer. And at the same time, uh, on Web3 social, you're actually able to form connections that you can take with you, um, you know, wherever you go in the ecosystem. So, I think, you know, that there's pros and cons to both. But as I said, it, it pays to be early and it paid to be early on TikTok when there was low sure. capital, social capital inflation. And I think it
0: pays to be early in, in Web3 social as well. What is it going to take to get to the broadband moment? What do you think is missing?
1: We need to make the on-ramp as seamless as possible. And we need to fix the onboard into into Web3, um, you know, at the wallet level, where you don't need to be signing for transactions every time you post uh, on Web3 social. And so there's going to be a lot of interesting innovation over the next few years, um, such as account abstraction, that's going to enable that. But right now, the difficulty is we're building the social meta-layer before we figured out one of its core
0: dependencies, that makes sense. I think one thing that Lens does really well is the a lot the, the, like the manual onboarding. You guys spent so much energy and so much time doing like these these onboarding creator sessions where you invite people into a, into like a, a shared Zoom call, and you have all these types of creators just like listening to these these people speak. I've been lucky to sit in a room and also speak on one of those calls, and it's it's packed with people just to listen what's going on in web three. And I think it's those manual moments that then eventually lead to the streamlined moments, because what you do in those calls, you plant the seeds in people's head, and then they go and educate others with them. Right. And it becomes like this network effect of education. That's how I got started in crypto, like getting taught from somebody else and then teaching others about it. And it just, it's a ripple effect. So I love that. Are there other, other examples like that, that lens does on a manual basis? We're still depending on the entrepreneurs to build the wallets to streamline people in, but I want to get more of those like uh, those uh, the the hard earned sort of like manual processes. For example, doing those creator calls that you guys do. Anything else come to mind in that nature?
1: It's definitely you know doing the things that don't scale, Um, and you know it's a little bit of you know sweat uh, and 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 time. But the Lens ecosystem is a completely new way of thinking about social media. And so the idea that it's not just one application that you need to learn, it's, you know, those integrations and that utility of where your social graph is um, in other areas that you're engaging within Web3, Um, that distribution benefit of your social content that you post on Lens uh, and where else it might flow that's useful to creators. And so another thing that we do a lot is um, speak with creators about different integrations and what would be useful for you in your Web3 journey as a creator, where would you like to see the Lens social graph and your content distributed? Um, Because it's not just an application, it's an entire ecosystem. And so, as I said, being the social distribution layer of the the EVM um, is really where we see ourselves, but that means everything is a little bit more fragmented, even integrations, it requires a lot of education. uh, Even when we get those live to to show people and and let them know how to use um, those different
0: tools. That makes sense. And you brought up another point that I think is a great segue. Um, you speak to a lot of creators and you mentioned how they consistent or you consistently ask them like what are the things you want to see, whether it be out of the lens ecosystem, out of web three in general. Are there any that you can you can share right now on this podcast? Cause I think you bring in that really unique perspective because you're talking to a lot of like the non technical users who want to use their creative endeavors to find creative independence. And having these needs and desires echoed on the podcast can kind of relay a message to other entrepreneurs and other builders listening. So maybe build build those tools for them. So
1: one one item that we get asked for a lot by creators is how do I share my drop that might be on another platform into the lens ecosystem? Mm. How do I share that with my lens community? And, you know, similar to, you know, Bello, Adam, where creators can now see who owns my NFT is actually my lens follower. We're actually seeing some really interesting insights where, you know, at most cases it's 25 to 30% uh, of their NFT holders are actually on Lens. And so there's a big case and something that we continuously get asked for, like add a shadow Lens button um, because, you know, you might not want to knit everything on Lens. and We totally respect that. Um, but, you know, Lens is an incredible tool for engagement and amplification to a Web3 native audience. And what we're seeing is that, you know, it's, 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 far better engagement uh, than Twitter. And you can just go on Lens and, and see a bunch of commentary um, from people, even Diana uh, Chan, who was on uh, Rehash. But she has like 10 times the amount of followers on, on uh, Lens versus YouTube. And she's been on for, I think, six months as well. Um, so they are kind of like more baseline, uh, you know, integration requests that we're getting from creators. The other ones are, you know, how do I create an application to my community? Uh, And having someone create potentially a white label that can then be easily repurposed and forked by different creators. Um, Everyone's tired of Discord. Um, Discord isn't decentralized at all. So, you know, you might have the token gating. But if you still lose um, access to to Discord, you lose, like, all that community engagement that's happened uh, on that
0: platform. So you're telling me that I can have an app for the Mint podcast. That's native to Lens and built on top of Lens. That's what you're basically telling me.
1: Totally, and you can um, offer different rewards to people that have a season two. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Lessons go the dark, then you know surface different content to, like different tiers of, of of your followers.
0: Talk about like there's this app, this no code app called Bubble, I think, where you can do like really no code apps really seamlessly through drag and drop capabilities. Imagine doing an integration like that. You know, and being able to build your no code app on top of lens, tie in your lens social graph, bring in your community of of collectors. And that's like a whole new experiment that's that's worth exploring, I feel like. Like Friends with Benefits just introduced their own unique app for their token holders. Exactly. I could see I could see Lens doing that at scale.
1: Exactly. Exactly. All we need and call out. Uh, if there's any developers out there <laughs> that would like to build this, please reach out because we, we have a lot of ideas on this
0: specifically. One thing that I love about Lens is you guys are at every single conference. You guys are sponsoring like hackathons, giving out grants, making sure that the community knows what's going on with Lens and incentivizing people to build on top. I love that. I love seeing companies and, and communities ingrain themselves into the ecosystem. And I know that's one thing that Lens is striving for, to attract builders, to build applications that we just teased, you know, if that's something that people are that people are excited about. Talk to me more about Lens's developer ecosystem. Like, what should we know that that's happening in that pocket of lens?
1: So I think what's very interesting about building on Web3 social is you don't need the full-fledged team uh, that you do to build a Web2 social product, right? You don't need those people that are going to help uh, growth happen and, and bring users. You get these these users by default of the open social graph. And what we're seeing is we're seeing one-person teams building applications with you know twenty thousand MAUs, and I think Lens Tube is a great example of this. It's one developer, and he's built a product that has twenty thousand DAUs as of a, a few days in a wow. while um, that are going in and, and consuming content. And that would not be possible uh, in 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 Web two at all. And so I think like the idea that you can build something incredibly easily as a one person team is is opening up a lot of innovation. Like we just saw, um, you know, CoruDAO, uh, they built a, um, you know, a way for multiple people to be able to collaborate and post for one lens profile. And so I think this actually spurs more innovation from the developer community because it's kind of like we were talking about with creators. There's actually lower barriers to entry to really innovate and to create differentiated um, features, um, whether it's like tooling for the lens ecosystem or front ends. And so I'm losing track um of everything that's getting built by the by the lens community. There's there's something new every day. And I think we did a great job um, you know, establishing our values and what we want Web3 Social to be. And and we have, you know, developers from India to China to Japan to the US, um, all creating new features every day.
0: I think that's so cool. And I had no idea that one person is behind lens two. That's it's insane.
1: crazy. It's, it's a shit and Le- and Lens stuff.
0: So the wow. 2
1: million apps on on Lens.
0: That's actually wild. So that that introduces a new opportunity that like social platforms did not enable last time, or in, in, I guess in the in the previous uh, the previous cycle, and that is the ability to build on top of a social graph, and more so to build like custom user interfaces that pertain to the experience that you want to create, which poises opportunities and challenges how do you kind of like promote uh, a non-competitive environment? So like LensTube becomes the de facto uh, crypto native YouTube on Lens because technically somebody can build like their own version of LensTube and try to drive traffic to that and make that the de facto platform on Lens. And I feel like you, ha- you open up this world of, uh, of like healthy competition be- behind all these user interfaces that kind of like either do the same thing. For example, like Orb, I use Orb all the time. Like that's like, like my go-to mobile Lens app. And then I use Lenster on the web. But if somebody were to come out with a better UI, than, let's say either Lenster or Orb or whatever the scenario may be, I can easily just take my entire community over there. Which is great for the creator because the creator is the platform, right? But I feel like it's an interesting opportunity for companies or projects building on top of Lens. Any thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, you're right. The ability to digitally exit a platform has never been easier, right? Because right. There's, there's no moats. and I think healthy competition is a good thing um, yeah. because people, and especially in building social products, it's always about building scale. Um, and then, like, it doesn't really matter what the competition does because you'll just make it a feature within your application uh, and continue winning. And I do think, you know, pushing uh, every front end to continue to innovate uh, and create a better user experience or even better, you know, curation tools uh, and things within the stack that that front end can own um, and is tied to that front end um, are also different ways that they can continue to differentiate.
0: I wonder if we'll ever see like vampire tax, where if there's a new lens tube that wants to come into the ecosystem, they'll launch a token and they'll incentivize people to drop on their platform or to incentivize publishers to release content on their platform, right? And do it in a way where, let's say, lens tube doesn't have one, so it may make more sense for those people to go over there. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder what the, what the what the digital war may look like as this ecosystem evolves
1: look maybe these new models are, are ways to um, allow creators to monetize better so mm. someone could come in um, create a new lens tube but creators are actually getting paid for ad service um against their videos right and they're getting paid you know maybe it's it's you know 98 percent versus whenever youtube's offering and if lens tube is an offering that, then they become less competitive Um, But at the end of the day, like you said, creators are the platform, right? You guys bring the audiences, they'll go wherever you go. And now you have those relationships in your wallet, right? So you'll go whenever is most beneficial to you from a tooling perspective and create a monetization like your business um, is extremely important.
0: How does a Web3 native creator bring their audience and their collector base that's outside of Lens into Lens? Assuming they already have a Lens profile, they got their unlock, they're in there. But now if I want to port my existing collector base from the Web3 metaverse into the Lens ecosystem, what's the best way to do that?
1: The best way would be to get in touch with uh, our creator team. Right now we're still in beta uh, uh, it, intentionally and, um, you know, it does require a whitelist. But to engage communities that want to bring across their, their networks, we're always more than
0: happy to have the conversation of, of whitelisting them. And I, I can speak to that as well. Like You guys have made it exactly. super easy for me to bring in, to bring in exactly. my community over there. So I love that. Christina, I want to go back to your time at TikTok because it's very relevant to where we are in the conversation right now. You have a lot of experience working with Web2 native creators. You're building this new paradigm shift in Web3 where the creator is the platform. Are there any lessons that you can share with us that you took from your time at TikTok that you're now applying to your time at Lens and building this new, this new era of social?
1: One of the things that I learned at TikTok is TikTok was a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. because it assumed that every creator is a short form creator, right? And all types of creative talent had to end up adapting to that. And I was in the music team. And so what you would see is that the music labels would then require, you know, their artists to all make short form videos and to kind of modify their creative um, their creative talent to that platform. Um, because that was the only way that creators would be able to to break or or music would be able to be discovered. Uh, and so I think that work through social and having different types of front ends that service different mediums without having to compromise on your social graph or your creative talent um, is really, really important. Um, and even like Instagram has now become like TikTok where it's all short form too. So where did the visual artists go? Like where did the photographers go? There's no platform for them, uh, oh. anymore. So that was one of the, the key learnings.
0: What about on the, on the video side? I feel like you're very adept to all these creators remixing content on TikTok and creating their own variation of that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what does content remixing look like in Web3. And I'll give you the example, okay? And this is an example that I've shared with other people on previous episodes. Oftentimes, you come across on TikTok of a, dow- a dog howling in like a certain key, musical key. And then that kind of influences the guitarist to remix that content and to add some chords to it. And then that that inspires the trumpet to remix the guitarist's content who remixed the dog's content to add some horns to it. And then you have the drummer come in and then the vocals come in. And it's like this entire piece that was kind of like a baby a second ago that's now this entire orchestra all remixed on TikTok. And when I think about the power of Web3, I think about how... Crypto is like the optimal platform to enable monetization and micropayments around that, either for curators who remix the content, because the creator can be the curator, right? And also for everybody that sort of like contributed to that piece as well, coming down to the original dog that inspired (laughs) this entire creative movement. Do you have any thoughts around that? Like I envision a world where OX splits comes into the picture. And every time somebody remixes a piece of content, things in micropayments get distributed. I imagine Lens as the platform to enable that level of discovery and to incentivize people to publish their original piece of content on there that enables the remixing. Like, this is the world that I'm starting to imagine right now, Christina. Are you, are you with me right now or am I losing my mind?
1: I, I've, I've started toying with this as, as UGC 3.0, right? Okay. We're more about community-generated content. Uh, and so the idea like, you know, with OX Splits where everyone can play a role in a new creative work uh, but it will also bring more value to the original work. And we both have little nouns, right? And it, we're kind of playing with that in the in the CCO and um, CC0 environment where, you know, it's it's really toying with this idea like you can make the underlying IP valuable. But then everyone who's contributing to derivative works and even what Jack Butcher did, I thought that was like such a great showcase of, um, you know, community coming around and, and building different derivative works around his initial mint. Um, but unfortunately the limitations are that no one's earning in that chain, right? You're always minting a new NFT with new terms and the ability to kind of pre-code that, um, and have that remixability all on chain. I'm particularly excited about. And it's a big reason why we've actually partnered with Stemstapp, um, which is a, uh, it, it's a music platform in, in Web3 where you can, um, create with your favorite artists based on their stems. Cool. Uh, and we're really using that as a first test case. So I think there's going to be a lot more that comes with it as well, especially when you think about multimedia. Um, you know, we've even seen creators on Lens um, partner together. You know, someone does the um, the album art and then someone creates the music work um, and they're figuring out the splits um, themselves. But, you know, we're really at the at the front frontier and I think there's a lot to be done here in, in the design space.
0: From an educational perspective, I like to categorize this concept of Web3 Social as programmable social. It's the first yeah. time ever we're able to program incentives and experiences on-chain to engage with our community, right? Whether it be collectors, curators, whatever it may be. And when I say programmable social, it fits really well because I can program certain experiences. For example, Mint Season 6 Pin Collection. I introduced the concept of the vault. That's something that, that Lens and, and I collaborated with. And the only way to get access to the vault and to collect my pin, which is like the end of season pin, is that you had to follow me on Lens first. And that, that follower NFT was written into the smart contract as a requirement, right, to be able to mint the pin. And you've never really been able to do an experience like that prior to what Lens has enabled. And I love that. Are there any other cool experiences that you can think of that sort of, uh, I guess, yeah, motivate a new, a new sort of interaction uh, or new, new experiences on the Lens ecosystem?
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting ways through token gating, um, and token gating different experiences. In effect, that, that's what you did there. Um, you've token gating it based on, you know, who follows you online. Um, but you can also token gate, uh, you know, whether someone can view a post or not, unless they collect it. And so I think programmable social opens up a lot of opportunities to growth hack, um, for creators, um, and also to earn and monetize. So if I had a hot take, uh, and I wanted to post it on style, I would say, you know, you must pay Matic to be able to even unlock what I've written. Uh, and so we're just scratching the surface, but the composable nature um, of the follower graph and any content, and Nick Collins did a great job of this as well, similar to you, where, you know, he minted his um, the visual art from his podcast, UFO, and then whoever collected that on Lens was token-gated to then collect his mirror article. Um, And so being able to have like social, as as you said, a Lego and a composable Lego um, is just going to allow for I think things are going to get weird and it's going to be fun. um, And we're going to see use cases that we haven't even we haven't even envisioned today.
0: My mind is spiraling. Another rabbit hole has opened to kind of think about what else what else can I use programmable social social to do in in the context of creating unique experiences for my community. Um, I have to think about this one because every single season I try to introduce something new. And I feel like this avenue is like the ideal environment to keep doubling down on because it's just, it's fresh, like it's exciting. And people haven't experienced that side of Web3 quite yet. Another thing I want to talk to you about, Christina, is this concept of creator currency. Right now, creators are used to kind of like earning their revenue either through Soul or either through Ethereum. Lens has predicated itself around Wrappedmatic, Wrapped ETH. I, I'm curious if you have any mental model of how we can understand like these types of currencies as to how they play into growing a creator's community, monetizing their creative work. Any thoughts around that?
1: I think social tokens, are you talking more about social tokens?
0: I'm, I'm talking more about like, is it worth more to collect a piece of content using Matic or is it better to collect a piece of content using ETH or Wrapped okay. ETH or Soul? Like, what is, what, like, why would you consider one currency over the next if you're selling a a music NFT for 30 bucks in, in, in ETH, does that mean you should sell it for 30 Matic? You know, if Matic is still like $1 or so, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I'm thinking about it. Any thoughts around that?
1: On Lens, we're built on the Polygon chain. And so the native currency and and the easiest one to expect people to be holding uh, is Wrapped Matic. And so... One of the biggest sticking points we're actually seeing is if you mint with on wrapped Ethereum, you're going to get less collectors because there's more friction to be able mm-hmm. to collect that because you need to convert your wrapped to wrapped Ethereum. Um, and most people by and large have wrapped So you need to meet, um, you need to choose a currency that meets where the demand is at.
0: This has been an incredible conversation so far. Seriously, I've been learning so much. And one of the final things I want to leave you off with is understanding how you think about season seven's tagline of creating content that's worth collecting. What goes into creating content that's worth collecting? Because we're no longer liking content. We're actually collecting content, right? We're, we're, we're identifying with the creators that we love by collecting their stuff and supporting them, whether it be a free collect, paid collect. It's a whole new shift in thinking and patronage. How do you think about content that's worth collecting? Do you have a mental model that sort of predicates one piece of content? That's more valuable than another piece of content. Any, any thoughts around that general tagline?
1: For me, there's two drivers. It's either the creator or the content. So if there's a creator, you know, and, and I, you know, appreciate their their content, their experimentation, um, you know, I view them as an innovator in the creator economy in Web3. I'll collect their content um, because of the virtue of the fact that it's experimentation type content. Then the second one is, you know, I might not know the creator, but I might listen to that track and really like it, um, and I'll collect it for the quality. So there's kind of two aspects of, um, in terms of like my mental model, when thinking about what I collect, um, it either falls in one of those two buckets.
0: I love that. Christina, before I let you go, where can we find you? Where can we learn more about Lens? Shill it away.
1: Yeah. So you guys can find me on Twitter. I'm 0 Christina, but I'm not sure how much longer I'll be there for. <laughs> so you can also find me on
0: lens, christina.lens. Amazing. Thank you so much. Seriously, we're going to have to do this again soon, but until then, appreciate you for being on. Thank you, Adam. Always a pleasure.